This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets Podcast. It's H-Town Hoops, hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. All right, it is the H-Town Hoops Podcast. Brandon Scott here with Adam Spolane. As always, Austin Mendez producing this thing behind the scenes. We appreciate you. And Adam, the last time that we talked on this podcast, the Rockets had five games to go in the regular season. And they've played three of those games. They've gotten through three of those games and are two and one. Uh, They've won two of the three games that they've played in that span. Obviously, two more games to go. Um, And so we're getting here to the very end of it. You and I were just at Toyota Center the other night for the Rockets' final home game uh, of the season, which um, I, I feel like went about as well as you could ever ask for it to, to beat the Western Conference leading Denver Nuggets and to keep them from clinching, at least in that moment, from clinching the top seed and all of that. Like, and it was one of their better efforts, I feel like, too, uh, just all around. So I wanted to open up with this question just about the Rockets in terms of changing changing the narrative. Because you have we're running a promo at sportsradio610.com of us talking in a previous episode about how what they need to do and something that they should want to do is to change the narrative about how they're talked about and how they're viewed as an organization and where their future is going. Do you feel like there have been moments toward the end of the season, especially with some of their key stars, Jabari, or their, I should say, key cornerstone pieces like Jabari Smith, Jalen Green, Alperin Shingoon, that the way that they're finishing the season feels like they might be somewhat changing the narrative? And, and I guess what is your sort of overall reaction to these last few games um on the narrative question probably not i mean let's be honest i don't think that what you're doing the last couple games first i don't think very many people are paying attention to what they're doing right now especially outside of this city just because the games that they are playing it you know of the three games that they just played only one really mattered and that was the lakers game and they got crushed in the lakers game but you know yeah. Denver didn't really need the game on tuesday and Detroit is basically throwing away the remainder of its schedule at this point. So I, I don't think that the narrative will change at all up until you get to free agency and, and next season and you start actually winning games. Because at the end of the day, this is going to be a 20 and 62, 21 and 61, 22 and 60 type season. And it's the it's back to back 60 lost seasons. It's you know, they would have lost 60 had they played a full uh, 82 game schedule the year before. So I think that will that stuff will uh, be will probably outweigh what we've seen over the last few days. And I do think that you know we're going to get into this a little bit later in this show 
but I, I do think that you're going to have some stories come out uh, once the season is over that will kind of further, it'll, it'll make things feel a little more unstable than maybe uh, you would want when you want to talking about trying to change the narrative. Yeah. I, for me, just on this point about changing the narrative, the part of it that the, the reason why I was confused about it is because I'm like, man, the same team that won that Denver game, like you mentioned, didn't Denver didn't necessarily need is the same team that lost that Lakers game. And I thought that was one of the, I don't, I don't even know if it's appropriate to say it's one of the more disappointing games because they've had so many disappointing games. It probably is not even in the top 10 of disappointing games, but it was a disappointment. I thought the way that they played that night. Um, and, but then the Denver game to me, they played like it was just a complete opposite. And I don't know if one has to do with the other, like they, they see, you know, what they did against the Lakers and feel like don't feel good about it and want to just put on a better effort in their final home game of the season. If they, you know, had, there was more, riding on that or more emotion riding on that or what it was but like it's to me it's just one of those things where you're like man this this team can can look two totally different ways on two totally different nights in terms of like what direction that they're that they're headed in i I guess for me the only part of the narrative that would be positive or the positive part of the narrative that i would point out is that the key guys and we've mentioned this before but it continues to be the case the key guys are making progress in ways that I wasn't always willing to say or acknowledge in the other parts of the season. You know, like we're at a, we're at a point where I feel like pretty comfortable saying, Hey, Jalen Green has made progress. Alvin Shingun has made progress. These guys still got a long way to go, but hey, Kevin Porter Jr. has made progress. Like I, I think that that is something that you can comfortably say at that, at this point, whereas I'm not sure if that's necessarily been the case for the entire season. No, I know, I know it hasn't. Yeah, the Lakers game, I mean, you're you're facing Anthony Davis and they have nobody who can match up with Anthony Davis. I mean, they they just don't. I mean, they don't have anybody who they don't have a big who's that quick. They don't have a big who's, you know, quick and and uh who's quick and strong like that. They just they didn't have a chance in that game and again, the Lakers needed the game whereas, you know, uh, Nikola Jokic had really dominated the first three games against the Rockets this season, but they didn't really need that game last night, uh, the other night, and Jokic didn't play his usual minutes. It, it's a good win, nonetheless. You'll take it, but two totally different scenarios. So I, I think that you know they won the Pistons game. That was not an easy type of game. You know that's a back and you know I know the Pistons are bad, but that was a back and forth game. I think there were twenty three lead changes uh, in the first three quarters of the game, and then they finally took control of it in the fourth. And the Denver game. Uh, the way that they played in the fourth quarter, I do think that's the sort of thing that matters because we've seen games like this before where, you know, they're tied or they're up one, they're down one at the end of three, and then they just get blasted in the fourth. And this was the opposite where they actually blasted the nuggets in the fourth and they use their defense. Um, you know, they, they want to be an aggressive defensive team. They want to force turnovers. And that's what they did against Denver. And they were able to get out and run and, and get easy buckets that way. So I, I do think that that's the positive that you take from, that last game, but I don't think it changes anything from, you know, how they are going to be perceived from the outside. Uh, you know, when you look at the, the first 79 games of the year. Yeah. And to the point that you made just a moment ago about the fourth quarter, I just want to add like one of the better parts of that is I think that you got, you know, first of all, you got a great operation goon game. Um, in comparison to what you'd been getting against Jokic previously. Obviously, Jokic had been winning that matchup, uh, and rightfully so, but you got a great Shangun game. And then Jalen Green turned it on late. You know, like he was a big part of it. Um, whereas I think prior to the fourth quarter, he was having a pretty inefficient night. Um, like he was scoring, but it wasn't looking great. 
Um, whereas by the end of the game, it seemed to really be coming together. So, uh, and again, that's one game, um, but it's here at the end. And I feel like you kind of take all of the, all of the wins that you can get or all the positives that you can take away from a season like this. Uh, and, and speaking of, I just mentioned it, Alperin Shingun, you got a chance to talk to him after the game. He played what Steven Silas called, I think he called it his best defensive game. Uh, if, if you correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think that was what he said. Uh, best defensive game that he's played, which I think says a lot because that's the, I mean, that is the looming and lingering question with Alperin Shingun is can he step it up on the defensive end? And y'all had, I was reading y'all's interview or back and forth about that and y'all actually got into in, in depth on, you know, how he, how, what they've asked him to do and what he feels comfortable doing. What were some of your takeaways from Shingun playing his best defensive game as Steven Silas called it and, and also y'all's interaction after the game? You know, he's understood, and this goes back to the entire year. He he knows that defensively that's always going to be the big thing for him, and that's going to be what, you know, I don't want to say make or break, but that's going to be what, you know, in essence holds him back is if he can't get better on that end of the floor. And the big thing, you know, they, they are asking him to play drop coverage, and it's not necessarily natural for him because it's not, you know, when you, when you, pl- when you have a, a center who plays drop coverage, it's usually a really good shot blocker. You know, it's Brooke Lopez is probably the best at it right now. He's a great shot blocker. Back in the Tom Thibodeau days in Chicago, it was Joakim Noah, a great shot blocker. And uh, Shingun isn't that. You know, he's he's not that big. You know, he's only six foot ten, six foot eleven. Doesn't have like the huge wingspan or anything like that. But that kind of is the best way I think that they feel that he can defend right now. And, you know, I've heard you see this stuff all the time. Well, they won't let him play another way. And basically, I think they understand that this is the best way for him right now. And so I asked him, would you be more comfortable in a scheme where you have to switch more? And he said, no, I really wouldn't because NBA guards are are really fast. And, you know, maybe they could have him blitz pick and roll and, you know, trap a little bit more. But then you're asking him to cover a whole lot of ground. And then also you're putting a lot on the rest of the team. And so now you have all these young guys trying to figure things out on the fly. And so the way that they have them defending right now is probably the best way. I don't know if it's the best way moving forward. And I don't think that they necessarily want to play that much drop coverage moving forward. And you've seen them try to experiment with other things where, you know, they'll try and hide Chengun on a wing, you know, whether it was Kyle Anderson earlier in the year. And they've done this with a few other uh, teams also this season. Like to me, that's probably their best way moving forward with him on the floor is to try and hide him on someone. You know, you had, remember back in the Durant Westbrook days in Oklahoma city, it was Andre Robertson. I mean, that's the type, that's kind of what you would like to be able to do is just kind of let him, you know, guard a weaker wing and maybe let him roam a little bit more. I think that's probably (laughs) the preferable way to have him defend, but he understands too, that he's going to work. And, we can talk a lot about his season and, you know, the way that it started was not good where, you know, he, he had a really bad training camp and um, he got benched to start the year. I mean, it was yeah. Bruno Fernando starting at center those first two games. And a lot of it was because of Shingun. you know, Shingun wasn't good. And I don't think that he came into camp in shape. You know, he was in, he was in Eurobasket, So his, you know, his attention was kind of pulled elsewhere a little bit. Um, but he didn't come into camp in shape. I don't think he, I don't think they liked the right, I don't think they liked the mindset that he came into camp with, but I think for him, it probably turned out to be a bit of a blessing because um, he's played really well and he's tried, you know, he's done a pretty good job staying as focused as he can. 
And he understands, I think now this is a big summer for him. This is a big summer for, this is a big, you know, this is a big summer because year three is really big for, for these guys, especially, you know, if they want to start talking about extensions and things like that. And, you know, he said, I'm going to come into camp ready. I'm going to come into camp, you know, in shape and I'm going to work on, you know, my, my defense and my footwork and that sort of stuff. And I think that's the sort of stuff that he really needs to be focused on because once he gets stronger, I do think that, you know, some of the liability stuff with him, with the way that he moves, I think that that gets tempered a little bit. So it's a big summer for him. It's a big stretch for him, but he's closing the season strong. And, you know, he, last year he played and he played a lot, but he wasn't starting. He wasn't playing heavy minutes. Now you look this season, I think he's missed six, maybe seven games, but he's playing starters minutes. And, you know, he is getting better as the season progresses. And I think that's really encouraging that, you know, he can be a starter for the first time in the NBA, play in 70 something games and get better as the season goes on. Yeah, I I feel like it's a real cool success story when you consider all of the things that you mentioned about how he started the season struggling and basically losing the starting job that was his to lose. You know, they were going to give him that job if he just came in and was ready to play. And he wasn't. Um, and even when they lost Bruno Fernando for a little while, that that ended up because, you know, because of where they were at that point, that ended up mattering because he was their best, uh, you know, at that point, he was their best probably defender uh, at that position and offered them um, a little bit more in the pick and roll uh, at the time. And, and you know, Albert Shingun just had some things to figure out. We obviously understand him to be the more talented, high upside player, but he just wasn't there at that point. So. I think that's one of the really cool success stories of the year is where Shingun started the season and where versus where he's ending it, where he's going toe to toe with his idol, Nikola Jokic. And, you know, there's probably way too much conversation about the the comparison, but the comparison is there. And, and he obviously looks up to him for a reason, looks up to him for a reason. Um, and you see the similarities and you're like, okay, well, he went from what he was doing earlier in the year uh, to, to what he's doing now. I am curious about this though, before we move on, since we're talking about it and, and you mentioned him being ready for next year um, and, and we'll, we'll get into plenty of this as the off season comes along about, you know, draft prospects and possibilities and what the Rockets might end up doing um, in the draft, especially once we figure out where exactly they're drafting. But we know what the conversation is out there. Victor Wimanyama, um, Scoot Henderson, Victor had the, the viral play of the weekend or whenever exactly it was, a play that I, I don't feel like any of us have ever seen before. A dude does a step-back three-pointer and follows it up with a put-back dunk. Like, I, I've never even considered that as a possibility, and there he is doing it. And, and we've heard all the conversation. Everybody that's in a position to get Victor wants to get Victor because of the type of prospect that he is. I'm, I'm just curious to kind of spitball and throw this out there before we move on. How do you feel like, because obviously if, if if they were to get Victor and we're moving way ahead of ourselves here because they don't even have the pick yet and they might not get it, but if they did and they got Victor, how much does that change? To me, it changes everything like exponentially. How much does it change everybody else's role? Um, it, it specifically, I guess we I, I would point to Shingun and Jabari Smith Jr. Um, because 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 and, and I'm only asking because Victor is a seven four guard and I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what that means. 
I mean, you, know? you say you say they might not get the pick. I mean, they probably won't get the pick. I mean, let's just let's just be honest. It, there's a 14% chance that they get the number one pick in the draft, which means there's an 86% chance that they don't get the pick. So yes. the odds of them getting the pick are are incredibly, incredibly small. They're they're better. Thank than- you, thank you for the math though, too. I think that's important to point out. Go go ahead and lay that out again because I think people need to need to understand. This how this whole thing works. It is a gr- much greater. How many? 86? An, there's a 14% chance that they wind up with the number one pick in the draft. There is an 86% chance that they don't wind up with the number one pick in the draft. I mean, there's basically a better chance of if Zach Granke were still allowed to hit, there's a better chance that he would come up with a base hit against you name pitcher X than there is of the Rockets winding up with the number one pick in the draft. So, I mean, again, the, the, the chances that now they have – of, of the 30 teams in the NBA, or I guess there will be 14 teams in the lottery, they will have the best chance. They, they Detroit and San Antonio will have the best chance to get the number one pick in the draft. But again, each team only has a 14% chance. So the likelihood yeah. of this happening are very, very small. So how yeah. does this, how, how does it impact them moving forward? I, I really, it's not something that I really have given much thought because of just how, of, of how insignificant the chances are that they could wind up with that pick because again, the odds are they aren't going to get it and they've had the same odds the last two. Hey, maybe they're due, you know, maybe they're due. Maybe, you know, they didn't get it last year. They didn't get it the year before they had a 14% chance each time. So maybe this time this is their year. Um, But I, I do think that you look at the guys that they have assembled, you know, I think Jabari Smith can be on the floor with basically anybody. I think, when Vimiana could be on the floor with basically anyone, Shingun becomes, you know, it's it's interesting, but if you have other really good defenders on the floor, especially uh, guys who can defend the rim, then I do think that that makes it a little bit easier, and maybe it allows you to be a little bit more creative with what you do defensively. So how, how it fits, you know, that's one of those we'll have to wait and see, but really great plays goes back to a Daryl Morey thing. Really great players will always figure out how to play together. That's just yeah. how this works. It doesn't matter what position they play. It doesn't matter how big. It doesn't matter their skill set. If you're a great player, you're going to be able to figure out how to play with other great players. That's why they they rolled the dice with the James Harden, Chris Paul thing. That wasn't supposed to work when when uh, when we were initially talking about that. It worked out really well. Um, yep. So great players figure it out. That's just how it is. And it, it's going to take, it'll probably take some time just because of how young everyone actually is. You know, it's one thing with James Harden and Chris Paul, those guys were vets and they were, they had been in the league for a very long time. This will be very different where you have a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds trying to figure it out. But again, great players have a way of figuring things out. Yeah, man. I, I just want to go ahead and reiterate the math that you articulated a minute ago, that there is an 86% chance that they don't get yeah. the pick. And the, and the only reason why, I feel like the conversation is worthwhile is because we're sitting here doing a Rockets podcast covering the Rockets. And as you also pointed out, they are among the few teams that the few handful of teams that do have the best chance of getting it, even though all of their chances are still slim. So yeah, and, and they have a, you know, they, they, you could have lost all 82 games this year and the odds don't change. And yes. well, you could have gone Oh, and 82, and you still have a 50-50 chance of even landing in the top four. So that's what they're looking at. I, I think they are going to wind up uh, whenever the season ends and whenever the lottery is held, they will have a 52.1% chance of landing in the top four. That means you have a 47.9% chance of, of falling outside the top four. That's a coin toss. And you know, I know they haven't gotten the number one pick the last two years, but they have stayed inside the top four which means they've won those two coin tosses. And one of those coin tosses in 2021, where had they lost, they would have fallen to 18. You know, that stuff matters too. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and again, we're, this is way ahead of time. We'll have plenty of time to get into this and see how things are actually going to play out. But it is something as you get to the end of the season that you start getting closer to, at least for me, I start getting closer to thinking about, okay, the different possibilities. And we can do this too on the podcast over time is like I just mentioned, Victor, we can start looking at prospects, you know, and, and start talking about different guys that are, that could be possibilities, uh, potential lottery picks, maybe, you know, go over our top lottery picks uh, or, or the top ones as we see them, you know, and, and do that. But it is an interesting thought, um, especially coming off that. And I think I also mentioned it too, because we're coming off that, just that crazy highlight, man. Like that, that moment, that play is something that I do not, not often do you see stuff and you're like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, what was that? What was that catch? That was total luck. I can't remember who it was now. Maybe it's for the angels. There was a guy who had a catch in the, in, in, I think right field. That was a no look catch on me. I think it was opening day. And I've never seen that before, but that also, you know, wasn't a matter of skill. That was a matter of luck in his hand, just being in the right place at the right time. When you have moments like that, it makes you start thinking, I'm like, okay, all right, what would that guy look like here? And what would that mean for everybody else? How would that change things for everybody else? And I love the point that you make, because I agree with it. And I think we've seen it time after time that great players either one one or two things they either figure out how to play with each other and how to make it work and even in the cases in which they don't i always still feel like it was worth a shot you know like i always feel like it's just worth trying it out anyway and if it doesn't work it doesn't work you know but like you know you and i reacted to the Kyrie Irving trade to to the Mavericks and kind of acknowledged hey there's some redundancy in their games Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving and maybe they figure it out maybe they don't but Eh, that's worth a shot, you know, to have two players that are that good on the same team um, is is just worth seeing if they can figure it out. So um, so I just think it's a fascinating hypothetical and we'll talk more about it as time goes on. Um, but I wanted to switch over to this point about Steven Silas because I was watching and, you know, we were all there for that final game. Um, I, I didn't stay for post game, but I was noticing all of the quotes and videos that you guys were doing and it was a lot of, talk of Silas. And I guess I hadn't thought about it before the end of the game, but in that context of, Hey, this could be Silas's last home game. Probably more than likely is his last home game. Um, would be actually, I guess, a somewhat of a surprise if it's not. Um, and, and, and so of course you guys talk to the players about that and they voice their support for Steven Silas. I wanted to kind of give you the floor on just what the impression you got from the players and how they feel about Silas, where his stand, where we are with, him right now we already know how a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast feel about that situation um but just in terms of the people that are actually involved and that know him you were able to talk to them what did you what did you kind of sense from them well silas brought up his contract before the game on tuesday which i mean it kind of came out of the blue where he he said that yeah this is i I have a three-year contract this is my last home game of three years and you know whatever happens happens um I think that we, and he also said that he hadn't spoken to Rafael Stone or the Fortitas about his future, which, I mean, I think that we can probably read the writing on the wall with this is that he's probably yeah. not going to return. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if that actually does in fact come to fruition uh, on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or whenever. But I think that that would be that, I think that that's probably the expectation that every, that most people will have. Um, and do the play, you know, I, I do think as, as Kevin Porter Jr. this, um, 
after practice today. I said, would you like to see Steven return? And he said, of course. And so, yeah, I, I think that within the locker room, there is a, an incredible amount of respect for Silas and for the relationships that he's built and for the way that he has really set them up for the future. I don't think that anyone could have won more game. Well, I shouldn't say anyone. I don't think that you could have the best coach in the NBA is probably who Eric Spolster at this point. Yeah. You could have given Eric Spolster this roster and they maybe win two, three more games, maybe. But what you have seen on the floor this season is what they expected. They did not expect to be a good basketball team. They expected to lose a lot of games, which is why before the season started, they did not make any, you know, grand proclamations about winning more games or we're going to compete for the play in or we're going to win, you know, 10 more games than we did last year. Nobody did that. They said we are going to be hard to play against. That was the big thing. It wasn't we're going to win more. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. No, we're going to be hard to play. And at times they were and at times they weren't. And, you know, when they started the season two and 12, I know from a front office standpoint, they were fine with that because the schedule was incredibly tough and they thought that they were playing at a competitive level. They just, again, they weren't winning games, which when you have a bunch of 19, 20, 21 year olds against grown men in the NBA, especially the best teams in the NBA on the road, you're not going to win. That's just, that's just how this is. And so they did not win. And then they went through that stretch late November, early December, where they did start winning some games. But then the problem that you had, there is basically that 30 game stretch from the middle of December, really through, I guess, right past the all-star break where they were really bad and far too often they looked uncompetitive and it was just, a, it was just bad. And that's when you started getting all the stories from John Wall and some of the other things about how the organization's a clown show. And it kind of kept going on and on and on. And Kevin Porter Jr. got hurt around that same time. And that's when things really started to go off the rails. And I think that probably sealed Silas's fate. Um, the fact that they weren't better during that stretch probably did Silas in. But at the same time, had they really thought that he was the coach for them moving forward, they probably would have picked up his option before the season started or even talked about an extension because, they, again, they knew what the season was going to be. It's not like they were going to come out and win 40 games and shock the world and make the playoffs and go on some magical run. That was never going to be in the cards. They knew the season was going to be what, what it has become. Now, Somebody's got to take the hit and it looks like it's going to be Silas. And, you know, that's just the business. That's just how this works. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, we, we will see what happens. I'm, I'm curious. Do we feel like they have like an answer or a, like an idea for, like, I know we've heard talk about Nick nurse and there's rumors out there um, that you can find, but I mean, the, the thing for me is always like when you get rid of a guy, I always want to feel like I have a, a good idea for who the replacements might be. And I'm not sure that I do. I know Ime Adoka is somebody that is on like folks wish list, but there's a lot of controversy there with how things ended in Boston. What would you like? What, what direction would you think that the Rockets might go in for a head coach if they do what we think that they're going to do? And that's part ways with Silas. Let, let's hold off on that because I don't, you know, I, I have kind of a feeling, but okay. I, I let, let's, cause we can make a whole episode out of that. You know? Yeah next week so fair let's, enough, fair enough. because i i do know and you've seen some names out there and i think that those names are pretty accurate with the direction that they will look to go assuming they do what we expect um after the season ends on sunday and, and they let silas go so the names that have been out there are some names that i have heard there are some other names 
that you know I think should probably be considered. But let's get into that on on Sunday or Monday once we really once we get the actual news. I don't I don't want to start replacing a coach who still has a job just yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, let, let, let's call it let's call it this. That is what we call a tease. Yeah. And that is Adam Spillane. I am Brandon Scott. We got Austin Mendez, as I mentioned before, handling things behind the scenes. We got two games to go here, man. Two games to go before the season is over with. They've got the Charlotte Hornets on Friday night uh, and obviously the Washington Wizards to end it on Sunday. We will talk to you guys again next week as the season concludes and see where we are in terms of news and where we're going to go next year with the Rockets. But until then, until next time, Make sure y'all are subscribing, rating, reviewing, and telling people about the podcast as much as you can. And uh, y'all be good.